tonight from our heart. Giving him the fruit of our lips and giving him thanks and praise. Amen. Thank all of you for being in God's house. We appreciate you getting your family dressed and ready and being in the house of the Lord. Some of you may have heard this humor. It's kind of old, older humor, but here it is just to make you smile. So the pastor was wanting a really, really good offering. He looked at the congregation and he says, listen, whoever gives the biggest offering, you're going to get to pick out three hymns. And so they counted the offering and they found out that a little widow woman had given a thousand dollars. Man, and the pastor was so happy. He called her up and he said, okay. He says, you get to pick out three hymns. She said, I'll take him, him, and him. Well, at least it made you smile. That was, that was the intent. Tonight, what I want to talk about is getting back what we lack. Getting back what we lack. Are you ready for God's word? Thank you. You can be seated. If I were to look at each and every one of you and we had some time together tonight after service, I think that I could ask all of us, is there something that you lack? And probably if we had 15 or 20 minutes after service, you would look at me and some of you would probably say, well, I'm lacking energy. I'm lacking, I'm lacking a job. I'm lacking finances. Um, I'm I'm lacking creativity. I am lacking spontaneity. You might look at me and say, Pastor, in this season of my life, I'm lacking joy. I can tell you from the pulpit to the pew, every one of us at some point in our life have lacked something. You may be living in a season of lack right now. Well, the good news is, according to the Word of God, I believe God's Word shows us how to get back what we lack. I don't know if you brought your Bible, and if you did, great, turn to 1 Kings chapter 17 and look at verse 3. If you didn't bring your Bible, then just look up on the screen. I want to talk tonight about how to get back what... You lack. First Kings 17 and 3. So the Lord said to Elijah, go east and hide in Kareth ravine, east of the Jordan. The Kareth brook will give you fresh water to drink. And I've commanded ravens to bring you food there every day. So Elijah obeyed what the Lord said to do. And he moved to the Kareth ravine. And lived there. The next verse says that the birds brought him food each morning and evening. And he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain. What I want to, I just want to bring the backstory to you on this. So at this particular time, 
King Ahab and Jezebel were rulers in Israel. This is very important. And because they were rulers in Israel, they led the people of Israel into pagan worship, into Baal worship, into idol worship. And all of Israel was participating in this idol worship. And after a long season, God eventually, his mercy ran out and he became frustrated with his people. And he told Elijah, the prophet, Elijah, I want you to go to King Ahab and Jezebel. And I want you to tell them that there is going to be no more rain upon the earth. And you may say, why would God withhold the rain? And I'm not sure because I'm not God. I'm going to just tell you what I think. I think that God withheld the rain because it's amazing that when there's no food on our table and our tummies are hungry, how we can start changing our thinking. And it's not, ladies and gentlemen, that God is cruel, but I believe that I can show you all throughout the scripture that God loves us so much that he's more concerned about our salvation than he is our comfort. And God loves us so much that he will allow your little tummies to get hungry if it will change your thinking and to realize that there is no pagan God that brings the rain. The God that blesses your table is the God of Jehovah. If you want food on your table, now you must understand something. The world can do whatever the world does because God is not their father. And because God is not their father, then he doesn't hold them to the same standard that he holds his sons and daughters. But when God is your father and you walk in disobedience to him, he will withhold from your table, not because he is mean or cruel. He will withhold from your table so that your tummy gets hungry so that you return back to your first love. Because in the end, God is more concerned about you spending eternity with him than you having a steak on your table. And if it takes taking the steak from your table to get your attention, God loves you so much that he will take the steak from your table so that you turn your attention back to God and to realize I can't do it my way and get God's results. And so because of this, because of that, that Elijah came to King Ahab and Jezebel and told them that it was not going to rain because of this reason, because of this very reason, now there is a bounty put out on Elijah's head because, because Ahab and Jezebel now hate Elijah. Because what it's doing is it's really, and pardon this vernacular, but it's making them look like incompetent leaders. Because they are the ones who led Israel into Baal worship, and now it's not working. And this Baal that they were praying to and trusting in is not answering prayer. 
is not bringing rain on their crops. And it's making them look foolish. And now they're mad at the prophet. Okay. So now what does God do? God says, even though there is a famine, Elijah, I'm going to take care of you. Here is the good news. Because God is your father, even in a time of famine, God still knows how to take care of his people. I do not have time to get into this, but I can prove through the word of God. When there was darkness in Egypt, there was light in Goshen. I feel the power of the Holy Spirit on me right now. I feel the power of the Holy Spirit on me right now. I want to encourage you that as you are people of God, even when this economy goes down, even when there is a leader that maybe you didn't vote for that particular leader, even when America is not obeying the godly principles that it was built upon, I want to encourage you that God will still somehow in a miraculous way take care of his people. God always has a brook. And God will always have a raven. Now there is a progression in this story. And it is to show all of us how to get back what we lack. So this brook, this is, this, this Kareth ravine is basically, it's a long, narrow gorge is what it is. And everything around it is just basically rock. So it's a very desolate place. Is there a picture up on the screen of that? Okay. I want you to notice that it's a very desolate place. It's just a small brook. It's not the mighty Mississippi. It's just, it's a desolate place. And this is early in Elijah's ministry. Okay. This is important. And this, this Kareth ravine, what it means in the Hebrew is cut off. Now, why is that important? Because there are going to be seasons in your life that you are going to feel cut off. You're going to feel cut off from people. You're going to feel cut off from social media. You're going to feel cut off that nobody can help you. And you know what? That's not necessarily a bad thing. Why? Because here's what, here's what you're going to find out. God was cutting everything off from Elijah because he was preparing him for something bigger. When there is lack in your life, it's not always a bad thing. And I know that we feel when we, when we feel like we're cut off, we feel like this is a bad thing. I want to encourage you. If you feel like that you are cut off from some resources and people, you're cut off, you, you just don't feel connected. It very well could be that God is developing some things in you because he wants to take you to some bigger places. And he can't take you to these bigger places until you're cut off from others because you may think that others are your source. 
And when you get into some future type places, you're going to go back in your mind to this Kareth ravine. And you're going to remember, I was cut off from people. I was cut off from resources. I was cut off from social media. I felt like that everything was cut off in my life, but God still provided. And it's going to build your faith. And you're going to, you're going to remember these words that God does not get involved with you to decrease you. God gets involved with you to increase you. But when God takes you from a place of isolation and he brings you onto a bigger stage, it is to develop you so that you always remember that man is not my source. Because you don't know that God is all you need until God is all you got. But now notice about a year later, notice what happens about a year later. The, the, the scripture says that the brook dried up. Okay. Now, now what happens, pastor, when the brook dries up, what does that mean? It means that God is getting ready to move you to another place. It means that God is getting ready to transition you now to somewhere different. And I want, I want, uh, I hope that the picture comes up on the screen because here's what the Lord says. He says, all right, Elijah, I want you to leave being cut off. And now I want you to go to Zarephath. Okay. Now, hopefully a picture is going to come up and it's going to show you that the Kareth ravine is at the bottom and Zarephath is at the top. This is about a 100-mile journey for Elijah to walk. Now, here's, here's the backstory that you got to understand. A year without rain, this little brook has dried up. So as he's walking this 100 miles, he's walking in dangerous territory because there is a bounty on his head from King Ahab and Jezebel who is very upset at him and wants him destroyed and killed. He's walking this dangerous road where there is no water, but God has told him the brook's dried up. I've done what I needed to do in you. Now I want you to get, leave the ravine and get on the road and go to Zarephath. A little study showed me that Zarephath is where Jezebel is from. So basically, probably, I don't know this, but probably what Elijah told God is this. God, Jezebel is from Zarephath. All of her family and friends are there. If you send me there, I'm a sitting duck. But God had a plan. And what does that show me? It shows me this, that your path to a miracle is always through uncomfortable territory. Your path to a miracle is always through uncomfortable territory. Does that make sense? Okay. 
Now, here's what we need to remember. We pray for miracles, but miracles normally never happen the way we think. Nine times out of ten, your miracle is going to come through an unexpected source. I'm going to just come alongside you and, and try to share with you a principle on God's word. If I were to literally go out behind our house and till up a pasture behind our house and plant that with corn, I would expect that that pasture behind our house would bring me a crop of corn. I would expect it. That's in the natural. But in the spirit, it works differently. I may sow into a person, but that person may not bring me a harvest. God may use another person to bring me a harvest. And, and, the, and the thing that God wants you to, to, to understand is you just sow into people and let God bring you the harvest. Because nine times out of ten, if you sow into somebody and you're expecting them to sow back into you, you may be disappointed. God wants you to understand that nine times out of ten, your miracle is going to come from an unexpected source. And we, when God tells us something, you know what we try to do? We try our best to start figuring it out. God, where is this miracle coming from? We try to start figuring it out. Who's it going to come from? How's it going to come? When's it going to come? And nine times out of ten, it's never going to come the way you think. Why? Because if it came the way you told God to do it, then you would get the glory and God wouldn't. This is very important. God is going to get the glory. And no man is going to take God's glory. So even if you did figure out God's way that he was going to do it, he would change his way just so he would show you he doesn't have to do it your way. See, this is, this is, this is what happens, ladies and gentlemen. We try to start figuring things out. God said, Abraham, you're going to have a son. He's 75. You're going to be the father of a nation. He's now 99 and he doesn't have one son. So guess what? He has relationships with a lady that's not his wife. And basically God says, God here, he basically tells God, here's your son. His name is Ishmael. And God says, no, that's not my son. That came from you. That didn't come from me. And God says, I am going to take a 90-year-old lady and I'm going to resurrect her womb to give you and to show you that I am God and that with me all things are possible. Now, if Sarah would have had Isaac at 20, we'd have said it's natural, it's common. That's what happens. But at 90, for her to have a child, it means that God had to literally resurrect her womb. I've come to 
tonight with a word from the Lord. And here's what the Lord is wanting to speak through me to you. If God can resurrect a 90-year-old woman's womb, then he can resurrect your dead marriage. If God can resurrect Jesus on the third day from a grave, then God can resurrect your job. God can resurrect some relationships. God, ladies and gentlemen, with God, all things are possible. But this miracle that is coming and this lack that is in your life you have to understand that it is uncomfortable. You're going to have to go through some uncomfortable places to receive your miracle. I can show you through the scripture. Think about when Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. Just to relate this story real quick. The Bible says that now Israel had left Egypt. Pharaoh is mad. He realizes what he's done. He gets his army, his chariots. They're chasing out after Israel. Israel now is at the Red Sea. They're backed into a corner. They literally have nowhere to go. God brings his cloud in between the two of them, brings the wind to roll back the sea. The people are walking on dry ground and barely the last Israelite hits the other side of the shore. And now the cloud raises and Egypt is coming. That's scary, folks. We just relate that to a story. But if that had been us, you would have been scared. But that is the way God brought a miracle. Think about David when he goes to Goliath. Historians say that Goliath could be nine feet tall. We just talked the story. But what if it was you going up against the man that was nine feet tall, had all the spears and the swords and the shields, and now your little old David, just let's say you're six foot, you're still three foot shorter than this giant. And all you're coming out there with are five stones and a sling. It doesn't make sense. It's illogical. This is scary stuff. This is your life. And if God is not with you, you're fixing to look like a fool. But once again, God is wanting to show that your miracle is going to be scary. But if you do it God's way, you're going to see God's hand in your life. And he is going to deliver you from your enemies. And when you walk through that, your faith is going to be built because you're going to know, I couldn't have thought of this. I couldn't have made this happen. I couldn't have engineered this. This was nothing but God. And when you get on the other side, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to have a song of praise. For how God does it. So, number one, your miracle. It's going to take you through some uncomfortable territory. Number two, it's going to be an uncommon source. 
because you're not going to be able to figure it out. And then number three, this is very important. I want you to get this principle. The principle of a miracle is CPR. This is a biblical pattern. It is CPR. You say, I want a miracle. I need a miracle. Well, according to the word of God, here is the principle and the pattern. It is a command. God gives you a command. Then he issues you a promise. And then you have to take the risk. Okay. I can show you this throughout the scripture. I'm going to give you a couple examples. What did God do? God commanded Noah, build a boat. God gave him a promise. I'll save your family. What did Noah have to do? Take the risk, look stupid, and build a boat for a hundred years. But what happened? His family was saved. I can show you again through the scripture concerning Gideon. God gave Gideon a command. Gideon, do this. Here's what's going to happen. But Gideon had to get out there with trumpets and pitchers and blow the trumpets and break the pitchers. And then God came through and defeated his enemies. Can show you this with David. God gave David a command, gave him a promise, told him to step out on the battlefield. I'm going to be with you. And then guess what happens? The giant falls. If you are needing a miracle tonight, this is the principle to receiving a miracle. It's C-P-R. God gives you a command. He gives you a promise. And then you have to step out in faith to receive his word. Does that make sense? Yes, now go to 1 Kings 7 and verse 10. God gave now Elijah a command. What does he do? Go to Kareth Ravine. I'll take care of you. That's the promise. Did he do it? Yes, now he's telling him, go to Zarephath. I've got a widow woman that's going to meet you there. I'm going to take care of you. That's the promise. What did the prophet have to do? He had to literally step out from hiding and get on this road and go to Jezebel's hometown knowing that there is a bounty on his head. But guess what? God gave him a command. If you go, I'll take care of you. And guess what? He showed up unscathed. It's C-P-R. And when he goes to Zarephath, he meets a widow woman. And there she is. The Bible says this. When he reached the town gate, Elijah saw a widow gathering firewood. He asked her, would you please bring me a drink of water? And by the way, would you also make me a little something to eat. Now, I just, again, we, we read these as stories, and because we read them so many times, we kind of get jaded with it. But I'm going to just ask you a question. If you were to walk into a town, 
It's a pagan city. This is where Jezebel's folks are from. It's not a Jewish community. And this is a total stranger. You don't know this lady from Adam. She, she looks pretty weak, pretty poor. Would you walk up to a total stranger and say, Hey, uh, don't look like you have much, but would you give me some water? And by the way, you're looking a little frail, a little thin, but would you make me a cake? I'm going to just tell you, I probably wouldn't do that. And you probably wouldn't either. What, what, is, what is the story here? The story is, is that God always does things contrary to the way we think. See, there's a whole lot that we can unpack in the verse that God's ways are not our ways. And God's thoughts are not our thoughts. But Elijah showed up. And look what the Bible says in 1 Kings 17. This is verse 12 now. So this widow answered and she said, yes, as the Lord, your God. That's important because this lady's living in a pagan city. She's not even in a Jewish community. She doesn't even serve Jehovah. She says, okay, as the Lord, your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son and that we may eat it and die. Now, Elijah has probably got to be thinking, all right, God, you send me to this little frail widow woman who doesn't even have enough for herself and her family, and you're wanting me to ask her for something to eat. And if I'm Elijah, I'm thinking this is unreasonable, this is illogical, and it doesn't make sense. So then what is this? What is God doing? This is a test. Are you going to do it God's way? Are you going to do it your way? Because if you do it God's way, many times it doesn't make sense. It's illogical. But it's God's command. If you do this, I promise you this, but you got to take the risk. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The Holy Spirit spoke to me the other night, said, give this amount of money out of the blue, gave it. After that service, an individual came up and blessed me. Do you know what the Lord was doing? The Lord was testing my faith, but he wanted to bless me. But he wanted to also bless the individual that blessed me. And when you try to figure it all out, it's going to confuse you. Because it's a test. Because it goes above your human logic. This should not work. This should not be what I'm doing. I should not be asking a widow woman with nothing to give me what she doesn't have. But listen, it was also that God not only wanted to bless Elijah, but he wanted to bless the widow woman. Yes, sir. 
So while God is working on Elijah, he's working on the widow woman and they're intersecting at a, at an avenue called a miracle. He was, he was wanting to bless both of them. And here's what I have seen in 30 years of ministry. I have literally seen God take this situation and work it for this one this good and work it for that one this way and work it for another one this way. And it absolutely blows your mind how God can take one thing and work this angle for this one, this angle for that one, and this angle for this one. And you can never figure it out. That's why God is God and we are not. And this is a test of our faith. And here's what Elijah said. First Kings 17. I believe we're now at verse 13. The number one thing, very important. This is, this is, this is what stops your miracle. He says, do not be afraid. Because nine times out of ten, when God gives you something, here's what my daddy taught me. He said, Wayne, listen to me, son. He said, nine times out of ten, if it don't make sense, it's God. That's good. That's good. Nine times out of ten, if it don't make sense, it's God. And this, none of this made sense to Elijah. But notice what he says. Do not be afraid. Because the enemy wants to put fear in your mind when he tells you, give everything you got in your wallet. You act like, well, what am I going to do about tomorrow? You know what? God just, it's a test. Are you going to obey me so I can bless you? Or are you going to hang on to what you got and then I can't bless anything? All right, all right, all right. It's a command. It's a promise. And then there is the risk of you obeying God. Here's what he says. Do not be afraid. And then he goes, go home and first make a small loaf of bread for me. And bring it to me, then cook something for yourself and your son. What is Elijah doing here? He's doing the very thing that God commanded him to do. And guess what? If this widow woman is going to get blessed, she's going to have to do CPR. She's going to have to do exactly what Elijah is doing. She's going to have to obey. And she's going to put him first. And you say, God, you want my last meal? And the Lord is saying, yes, that's what I want. I want your very last meal. God, that doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. But when I bless you, you're going to know that it wasn't you, that you didn't think of this. You didn't engineer this. You could have never made this happen because I am going to get the glory because what I want, what it all comes down to, ladies and gentlemen, and this is the hardest thing For all of us Americans, here's what it all comes down to. God wants you to trust him. And we don't trust hardly anyone. And then how can we trust a God that we have never seen? But it all comes down to that. God wants you to trust him. Look at verse 16. So the widow did what Elijah told her to do. And she and her son, check this out, had enough food for every day. And the jar of flour and the jug of oil never ran out 
Just notice what this says. Just as God had promised. I've said this many times and I'm going to keep saying it. If you will pour it out, you will never run out. All right. All right. All right. Do you know what Zarephath means in Hebrew? It means refinery. So now we've got the polar opposites. I'm going to show you how God works. Kareth Ravine in Hebrew means cut off. You're cut off. You're in a time where God's developing you for bigger things. He takes him out of that and says, leave the ravine and get on the road. Go to Zarephath. Zarephath means refinery. Do you know what refinery means? It means heat and pressure. Because here's what God will do. God will subtract from you, but God will also add to you. And what the heat is doing is the heat God allows the heat to begin to melt away the impurities out of your life. And you get to the place in the heat and in the pressure where you're asking, hey, I'm lacking energy, I'm lacking resources, I'm lacking a job, I'm needing a spouse, I'm needing this in my life. What is God doing? God is showing to you once again that he's reducing things in your life so that your motives become pure, so that he is now your source. And you realize that Jehovah Jireh is my provider. I thank God for the government. I thank God for the job. I thank God for the resources. But at the end of the day, it's God that is my source. Can I get a witness in this house? And that is what God is trying to get us to understand. And you say, Pastor, what happens when I feel like that I have run out of resources? You need to remember these three things as I wrap it up. Number one, whatever I need more of, give what I have to God. Okay. Now, I don't want, I don't want it to get tied in here. Please don't think I'm going to receive an offering. I am not. I'm going to teach you a principle based off of God's word. If you are wanting a miracle, if you are needing a miracle, then you need to understand several things. Number one, whatever you want and need more of, you give it away. Think about this. This little widow woman was fixing to die anyway. Why not give it to God? You mean God is asking you to give $5? Is $5 enough to pay your light bill? Is it enough to pay your doctor bill? Is it enough to pay your house note? No. Then why not go ahead and obey God and give that $5? It's not enough to sustain you anyway. But God could bless that $5 and bless you back with $500. It's just a test. Do you trust him more than you trust yourself in the almighty dollar? So she gave away really what she didn't have. See, there's a myth that says, there's a myth that says we can't afford to give. I just want to say that we can always choose to be generous. Even if you can't give a dollar, you can still be generous with encouragement, with a smile, with a hug, with a I love you, 
we can always be generous. God wants us to be generous. Why? Because it teaches us about faith. Ladies and gentlemen, as I wrap this up, may I have your attention, please? God doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but he doesn't need your money. He owns it all. Where do you get that? The Bible says the silver and gold all belong to him. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your resources. God really needs nothing from us. Then what is God doing? He is trying to get us to stop trusting in ourselves and start trusting in him. He's teaching us to trust him. And we think, we think that it is the amount that we give that he looks at. It's really not. It's the amount that we have left. Okay. I'm not, I'm going to just quote you a quick scripture. The Bible says that the little widow woman, this is a different widow woman, but she came and she gave her might. And the Bible says this, that she gave more than everybody else. You say, okay, well, what if there was a person there that gave a million bucks? Here's how God looks at it. The person that gave the million bucks, that's great, but that person may have had two million left. So did he or she give a lot? Yes, but they still had two million left. The way God looks at it is this little lady gave the best and biggest offering because when she gave, she didn't have anything left. She gave her all. Does that make sense? We think, well, it's the thousand dollars and God's going to see the thousand dollars. And he does and he wants that, right? Because you're going to bless the kingdom. But it's not about what you give. It's really about what's left. Did that make sense? So here's what I've learned. There are, there are wealthy people that they can give their money because that's easy. They just don't have a lot of time. So what they need to give is time. Because giving money is easy. That's a sacrifice for them to give their time because they don't hardly have any of it. Now, for the other person that's broke because they don't have a job, then the hard thing for them to give is money because they don't have that. So I would say to the wealthy person, it's very important that you not only give your money, but give something that you have very little of in time. But then I would say to the broke person, give money because you got a lot of time, but you don't have very much money. See, and that right there blows our mind because that's not the way we think at all. And it goes back to God doesn't think the way we think. His ways are not our ways. The second thing is this, whatever I have the least of, I give to God. See, we, we were taught to give out of our extra. We were taught to give out of our leftovers. And that's better than nothing. But God says, if you want a miracle, then give when you really want to hold on to it. All right. All right. sense? Yes, sir. Here's the third thing that you need to remember. I don't give to get a blessing. I give to be a blessing. Yes, yes. Would you stand with me? There's more promises in the Bible about giving than any other. 
There's more promises in the Bible about giving than anything else. Why? Because God is wanting us to go back to CPR. When I give the command, I'll give you a promise. But you got to take the risk to trust me. Say, I need a miracle, Pastor. I need a miracle. Okay? If you need a miracle, then remember this. Where God guides, God provides. Remember this. I must trust God every day. My miracle is going to take me through some uncomfortable territory. My miracle is going to come from a source that most likely I'm not even looking at, not even thinking about. And my miracle will come from obeying His command, trusting His promises, and taking the risk. Here's the promise. My God shall supply all my need according to His riches in Christ Jesus. The Bible doesn't say God shall supply all my greeds. God didn't promise you a $9 million house and a Bentley car. Not a, I'm not against the Bentley. I'm not against a million, a million dollar house or a $9 million house. What I'm telling you is, is don't put in that word greeds for needs. God is all about his kingdom. And when he blesses you, you need to remember, it's not so you can have a thousand pair of shoes. It's so that you can be a blessing. If you need a miracle, this is the blueprint for a miracle. If you don't know Jesus in this room tonight, if you don't know Jesus, and I know I'm talking to a bunch of mature believers, but if you don't know Jesus in this room tonight, I just want to tell you, That you don't know that God is all you need until God is all you got. And if you don't know Jesus tonight, you just simply need to come to him and say, God, I've been relying on myself and it hadn't gotten me very far. But would you help me to take this word and put it in my spirit and go back to obeying the command Trusting your promise and stepping out and risking and believing in faith. Do you receive God's word tonight? Would you just lift up your hand tell the Lord you receive his word? Come on all over this house. Would you lift up your hand and lift up your hearts and lift up your voice and tell the Lord right now, God, we receive this word. We receive this blueprint, Father, for a miracle. We began this service by coming around the front. Let's end this service by coming.